Thank you so much. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I just want to say thank you, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, just for... Uh, uh, we hung out. We had lunch together. Uh, he sat, listened to my story, heard my heart, um, and I heard his heart, heart uh, for God, his love for, for Scripture, uh, and his love for this church. And so can we thank Pastor Dave again? Um, awesome pastor. You guys, you guys have one of the best pastors in the world, and uh, it's just so good to be here this morning. And I want to just uh, congratulate you guys on your faithful witness uh, to the city of Santa Ana and the world. 85 years. That's huge. I'm one year in the game, guys. I'm one year. Church planner one. 85. I'm just like, whoa. But, but uh, just praise God for you guys and your faithful witness. Um, I'm just so excited to be here. I think you introduced me well. I'll just kind of go back just a little bit. Uh, my wife and I, a year ago, we planted a, a Mayus church in downtown Santa Ana. And uh, it's an intentional, multicultural, multi-generational church. Uh, our calling, we feel, is to um, be a part of a multicultural movement that we believe uh, will uh, be the, really the next, will be the future of the church. Uh, with all nations, all tribes, as we see in Scripture, worshiping together. And so my wife and I, we, we stepped out of Mariners uh, to, to that endeavor, and we've just seen God's hand move in, in, in the last year. And I'm just uh, super excited, as Dave said as well. Um, she's preaching right now. Can I get a picture of my family really quick? This is my family here, my wife Nancy. Um, uh, in, Nan- in Nancy's arms is Elsie. She's four years old. That's my son, uh, Jackson. Uh, he's two years old. And my oldest daughter, Sayla, is uh, seven years old. Um, yeah, we all do church together. That one children's ministry, they're running. We're all, we're all hands on deck doing the church, doing church, doing life together. Uh, but uh, missing them this morning, but they're praying for us. Uh, and I thank you guys for praying for, for my wife as well. Uh, before I jump in, I, I just want to, I want to pray for us again. I want to pray for our, our, our time. Just a quick prayer, just that, that God would continue to, um, to speak to us as he's spoken to us through worship, but he'd continue to speak to us as I share a little bit of my story. Father, we just, uh, we thank you this morning, Lord. Uh, We thank you for just the opportunity to come together with you corporately and worship you. I'm reminded this morning of Jesus' words, Lord, that said um, that this for, for believers, your word, his word for believers, that we would be in complete unity. Father, I, I just pray this morning that you'd give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit's saying. That, Lord, just as you were in the Father, that we would be in you and in the Father, Lord, and you would bring us to complete unity. So, Lord, that the world would see our love for you. Father, that's my prayer, my heart for the local church, Father. And I just pray that, Lord, you would speak to us over the next few minutes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I I want to... um, kind of give you an introduction a little bit. I want to share, give you a biblical framework this morning for this conversation. I want to give you a biblical framework for the conversation of of race and racial reconciliation. Um, I'm going to do that uh, through the scripture, but it's going to be informed by my story. I feel like I have a unique story that I pray that would speak to your hearts this morning. Uh, And again, I want to inform us from God's word. If you can, I'll start by this. If you could put my my family back up there again. I'm super proud of my family. God has blessed me with an amazing godly woman. Uh, Just uh, just 
through and through. He's a prayer warrior, uh, is called to, to share God's word. He's given me these beautiful women to steward, this beautiful family to steward. Um, and he gave me this little guy right here. This little guy is huge. You know, men, you know, this is the third child coming unexpected. And it's like, in my mind, I'm thinking, ah, oh, it's just another girl. But hey, I lo- I'll love her anyways. <laughs> I'll love her anyways. But I was dead set that, hey, it's another girl and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to put on my smile. But I wanted a boy, you guys. I really did. God gave me this beautiful gift of a son. And I know that many of you guys are thinking, yeah, we can relate and like, yeah, baseball games, maybe even soccer, not football because concussions are crazy these days, but, but anything other than football. But I, I know that I did think about that. But, but the truth is that gift there was God giving me an opportunity to be the father that, uh, to a son that I never had. That's what my story, a part of my story is, is a deep part of my story. Uh, I was abandoned as a child. My, my father was never in my life until la- the latter years, but I was abandoned as a child because my father had a sin issue. He had brokenness. He was blinded by his brokenness. My father, he had a drug addiction. He was, he was addicted uh, to alcohol and, and smoked crack cocaine, and it led him to jail, in and out of jail. And he was homeless for 20 years. For 20 years, I never saw my father. I'm born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, for 20 years, I probably saw my father maybe four or five times on my hands. And the truth is, although Nashville's growing, you can get anywhere in Nashville in about 20 minutes. Like you can get it. I was 20 minutes away from my father at any given time, but never saw him for 20 years. Deep wounds there for me. So much so that it led me into uh, addiction issues that I began to smoke marijuana and, and to drink as well and begin to sell drugs. And I thought that that was going to be my life. My father had a huge blindness huge blindness that, 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 that created a void in me that only God would be able to feel later. So I look at that and I look at my father and I thank God for what he did for me and for my father. God reconciled my relationship with my father. My father now is a, is a homeowner. Uh, he works at the Nashville Rescue Mission. He's like the poster boy of the Nashville Rescue Mission. He's a deacon in his church and him and I have a great relationship. We're talking about reconciliation. God, God brings us into his family. And I, I look back over those years and I thought, I knew that God's hand of protection and grace was over my life, but I'm particularly um, thankful for my grandfather. It was my f- grandfather that loved me unconditionally when I was young. Anybody have a great, great grandparent, awesome grandparents? Like, I mean, some of you guys are awesome grandparents. Like, I'm that guy, but... my. My grandfather loved me unconditionally. My grandfather went to every, every baseball game. I played baseball uh, well into high school. My, my grandfather was at every game. He never missed a game. My grandfather, I remember, he was old school. He was old. He was Dave Ramsey before Dave Ramsey. He had an envelope. He would count. He would do his budget out on the back of an envelope, and he would count out 10 ones every week, and he'd give me lunch money every week. It was big for me because my, my mother was a single parent raising four children, raising four boys. You can think, four boys, single parent. 
My mother struggled to provide for us. She, she was on government assistance, and I lived in Section 8 housing for 18 years. 18 years. But I saw my grandfather every week give me 10 ones over and over and over again. It was, made me feel so good. I used to save those ones, and I'd buy a fresh pair of Nikes every now and again. I mean, I, I learned this Dave Ramsey thing, right? But I remember this one story that, that stands out, the greatest gift my grandfather gave to me. It was this. I, I would play eighth grade. I was playing basketball. I really got, I would play baseball most of my life, but I, I loved basketball as well. And said, I said I'm going to go out for the eighth grade basketball team. And at that time, I had begun to, to hang around the wrong crowd. And I love sports, but I was hanging around the wrong crowd. And, 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 but I, I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to play basketball. And so I tried out for the team. I practiced all summer. My grandfather would take me up to the park every day. He was my transportation as well. Every day I'd practice, I'd practice. And I went out for the team and I did not make the team. I came home sad. My name wasn't on the list. I was as good as every other player. The coach said, I, I just, are you hanging around the wrong people? We don't want that on our team. I was broken, heartbroken. Never forget my grandfather. He, he went up to this coach, talked to him like a father would, like a concerned father, talked to the coach, and the coach gave me another shot. I ended up averaging about 14 points a game that year. Loved basketball, still love basketball to this day. My grandfather, he spoke up for me. It's huge, huge. In a, I look back at how, how big that was. Some of you guys, you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, yeah, grandparents are supposed to do that. Why are you tripping, Lamont? Like, what's wrong with you? I want you to put a picture of my grandfather. So you, you, you may think that as I talk to you and I come here to talk to you about race, you think possibly that my grandfather was African-American like my father, but my grandfather and my mother, I'm a bi- I'm biracial. My grandfather's name is Frank. I call him Papa. And my grandfather, he also had brokenness just like my father did. My, my, my father's brokenness was drugs. My grandfather's brokenness was prejudice. My grandfather, before my mother started dating African-American men, my grandfather hated it. He, uses, he used the N-word. He used many words. But the day I was born, something, something clicked in my grandfather. Something happened that he saw himself, and he began to love me. He loved me so much, he loved himself out of his own prejudices. That's Frank. I admire that man. That's the man that was in my life that loved me and spoke up for me. That's me right there. That's me. Yeah, that's me. Little hair, little hair. I cut it. I cut it. I cut it. (laughs) Huge what he did for me. The gift of his presence was so huge. Him standing with me and speaking up for me was the best gift that he has ever given to me. I look back now and I I know he looks up uh, proud of me and what God has done in my life. I, 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 I wish that my grandfather knew the Lord. He didn't know the Lord until he was on his deathbed. Wish that he would have made that relationship right. He sure made it right with me and reconciled with me and lived and built relationship with me, but he didn't enjoy the best relationship that you could ever have, and that's with Jesus Christ. He didn't get to enjoy that. But as I, as I look back, 
I, I think he's looking up there now and he's smiling and he's saying, you go for it, Lamont. You, you continue to go for it. Because now as a pastor, when I think about my upbringing in the South and I think about my, my grandfather and knowing that my grandfather had prejudices, I know that the truth is, is that even as a pastor, I've encountered some of the same prejudices. I've encountered some, even in the church, the place that, that knows reconciliation, that should know it more than anyone else in the world, I've experienced it even in the church. As Pastor Dave said, that I've actually worked in cross-cultural churches many times, and oftentimes I've always worked in predominantly white churches. And, and I'll tell you this, this is, doesn't claim to be in every church, but I, I work for a pastor. I served him, loved the church. I'll never forget one moment we sat down and he was really upset that an African-American had done something wrong to him. And he used the N-word in front of me. And I thought, wow, whoa, whoa, no, no, this is not the South. This is like, this is the city. Like, this is, we're out of the South. Like, what's going on? And I begin to remember that, that, there's always some, uh, there's, there's, there's racial undertones sometimes that we have to address as the church. It's just always underneath. It's just there. I remember that day. I, began, I think that was the journey. That was the day the journey began for me that what I was called to do was be a bridge builder, to live out the ministry of reconciliation. Martin Luther King said this, that the most segregated hour is Sunday mornings. In America, the most segregated uh, hour in the uh, is Sunday in America is Sunday mornings. I think it rings true at times, and I wonder, I wonder why this is. I know that today we're all feeling the pain of the racial divide, the racial tensions that we're seeing happening in places like Baton Rouge and Tulsa and Charlotte. And, and I know that as a church, I know you guys are probably asking the question: What is the church's role in these racial divides? What is, what is the church's role? What is the church's responsibility? That's a great question. And, and if you're not asking that question, I would, I would ask you to, to really consider what is your role as a believer in Christ? What is your role in the racial tensions that we're experiencing to get today? And maybe even to go as far as to ask yourself, why are you not engaging? Because I believe, and I know this church believes, that the church is the hope of the world. And in times of fear that the world experiences, that our society experiences, it's the church that should lead the way and be fearless in, 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 in letting people know who Jesus is and the hope that we have in the gospel. See, unfortunately, we know this to be true, but unfortunately, the, the, the church has a history of being silent on issues of race. We get uncomfortable when we talk about race. We get a little defensive. We feel a little awkward. We don't feel like we know enough. And so we just disengage. I read a book that changed my life by Michael Emerson. It's called Divided by Faith. And Michael, he lays out a history of the church. He's a scholar, a Christian scholar, and he lays out the history of the American church and the history of silence that the church has had on issues of race. He, even the, the great founder, George Whitfield, the founder of the American uh, evangelism, uh, 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 our evangelical father, was the first person to, to see a slave as uh, having, could have eternal life with Jesus. 
first person to begin to witness. There's, there's been this ongoing, but no one, no one at that time was ready to accept, accept a slave into their church. They, they can be saved, but they have their church. We have our church. Ethnic divides have always existed in America. And I, I will go as far as to say this. They've always existed even in Scripture. And it was the Apostle Paul that had a unique calling to reach across ethnic lines and to be that voice of racial reconciliation, to address the issues that were plaguing the church in his day. We can see it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. You can see it on your screen. It says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul was talking at this point to the Jews and Gentiles. He was talking to them about reconciliation. See, Ephesians, before accepting Christ, were alienated from God. Being brought into right relationship really means to be reconciled to him. Paul was pointing out that these ethnic divides— There was actually a real wall of hostility. There was a real wall that Gentiles could not enter in into the place of worship. There was a physical dividing wall. And Paul says, now, no, you've been brought into right relationship with God. You've been reconciled with him. And so we all may worship together. See, this wall, if religious barriers, if if in Ephesians chapter 2, if Paul is talking about breaking down the wall of hostility— If these religious barriers were broken in in Ephesus, how much more has Christ broken down the racial divides that exist in our society? See, we of all people should should understand the importance of racial unity and 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 the power of reconciliation. We of all people, because we've been reconciled to God. What does reconciliation mean? It means a a change in relationship with God, but it also means a change in relationship to man. Reconciliation comes from this group of root words called aleso, and it really means to exchange or to change. The idea of reconciliation means to change or exchange. And this change happens through the cross of Christ. It's Christ that reconciles us back to God. We know this. We get this as the church. Amen. We know this, that we've been reconciled. We know something about reconciliation. And because we know this, we have something to offer today in these conversations about race. We know God's Word. We believe God's Word. It's infallible. It informs us in all that we do. So our right doctrine can lead to right practice. We get, we understand reconciliation. Even 2 Corinthians 5 and 18 says this, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. We have all, you and me, Scripture says, verse 23, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 23, that we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our role is to live it out, no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how hard it is, our job is to live out this ministry of reconciliation. Paul gives us the fruit of re- reconciliation, what happens 
when we live reconciled. He, he shows us what the fruit of it is. We can find this in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 and 28. It'll be on your screen. I want to read it to you. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. It's important to understand the context of this letter that Paul writes to the church at Galatia. This, there's two regions in Galatia, north and the south. And the people in the north, they were of, 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 of European descent. They were Celts. They, were, they had, um, uh, yeah, they were of European descent. And the people in the time, the, the Greeks of the time, they would uh, consider them barbarians. Barbarians. Where that word barbarian comes from? Because they, it was equivalent in the Greek to saying blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. This is the blah, blah, blah people. Equivalent to blah, blah, blah. Seriously. They, they, they basically, to the Greeks, you know that, that to, to be able to speak and articulate and speak in the gr- Greek language is to have reason, is to have reason. And so if you could not speak as the barbarians could not speak, therefore you couldn't reason and therefore you were stupid. So Paul writes to the church and says, you two, you guys have to be together. The South, see, the South didn't want any part of the blah, blah, blah people. We're too good for the blah, blah, blahs. They didn't want any part. And Paul says, no, 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 you are one in Christ. We have to get this this morning. This is the beauty of the Scripture, the beauty of the text. This should inform how we interact with others, how we respond to times that those who are called Christ are one in Christ. Paul is, is, is saying here that those that come to faith in Christ are sons of God. Now a living union with Christ is brought about by being baptized into Christ. See, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is according to Paul, it joins all believers to Christ and unites them within the church in Christ's body. We're united now. This union with Christ means that we're clothed with Christ. Many of you guys know this, that, that you've been now clothed with Christ. In Roman times, when a young man was come of age, he was given a toga. And this toga uh, basically meant he was, has come of age. He was now a son. He was mature. This is what happens with us is we've been reconciled with God. We've accepted Christ. He lives in our hearts. We live on mission for him. We've been clothed with the robe of righteousness. And while we're made righteous, we become sons of God. We've, been, we've now become sons of God and we walk in sonship. The truth is, many of us, we don't walk in our sonship too often. We want to live in babes in Christ and we don't reconcile relationships. We don't lean into the things we need to lean into. And so we, there's a void there. There's a void there. 
See, no one is spirit. Here's what Paul is saying when we, when we look at this in Galatians. They had to lay aside their old garments of the law and accept this, put on this new robe of Christ's righteousness. They had to lay off the old garments, the old ways of doing things, and put on the newness of Christ Jesus. This was Paul's letter to the Galatian church. They were fully accepted now into the bodies of barbarians and, and, and the upwardly mobile people of Galatians in the south. They were fully accepted into the Bible. And fully accepted means that they were one in Christ. Verse 28, believers are all one in Christ Jesus. Since all believers became one with each other, human distinctions lose their significance. When you're one in Christ, your distinction, maybe it's your race. It loses significance. I'm going to tell you this morning, I, I wish, this is, I want to share something you may not have heard before. But race, race is a social construct. And we, this was made up. This was an ideology that we've accepted. It's a social construct. I know so because I'm a living testament to that. My, my whole family, the family that loved me, I was raised in, my mother birthed me, was white. And my father's family is black. There's no category for me. Well, there was in the South, I'm just automatically black. That's, that's, that's a distinction. We, we like to categorize people in, in society, and it's accepted. But this morning, I want to help us this morning. I, 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 when we're in Christ, we're one in Christ. Those distinctions, Paul says, are erased. Now, distinctions are beautiful. I, I don't want you to say, well, I don't see color when I see you, Lamont. I, I want you to, to accept me for, I want you to accept my children, accept me for the beautiful person that I am. But in Christ, the distinction goes away. We see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's no superiority. There's no, there's no Jew over Gentile, Paul says. There's no slave over free. There's no higher rank. Those distinctions are all gone away. There's no, uh, there's no man over woman, although there is a distinction in, in spirituality as far as position. Paul says here that there's no man or, over woman. Paul reminds us that whatever human categories may describe us, they do not define us as believers. Whatever human categories describe us, they do not define us. I think the church would be, do an awesome job if we begin to step out in faith and to have the hard conversations and begin to, to see believers in the fullness of who they are, the sons and daughters of God. Because the categories that the world wants to place us in, they don't define, they don't describe us. They describe us, I'm sorry, but they don't define us. So what are we to do as a church the next time the next thing happens in another city or the next time someone approaches you as a Christian and says, well, man, what do you, what do you think about all this racial tension? I want to leave you with this. I want to, want to share a couple of things that I hope would help you because you know now that you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I want to help you because there's no reconciliation without relationship. We got to begin to have relationship. The way my grandfather was able to overcome his own prejudices, and we all have brokenness. The way he was able to lean into these conversations, the way he was able to, to speak up for his grandchildren was he had relationship. He knew, my, he knew the obstacles that were before me. He knew the, the tough conversations. He leaned into the tough conversations that he had 
to have. And for us as Christians, we have to be willing to to step out and and remember that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation and it's all founded uh, on this idea that we are one in Christ. How does this practically look? I want to encourage this church to do something. One would be this source of encouragement. A lot of negativity. A lot of negativity. A lot of of people just, you know, talking, a lot of talking heads, a lot of, lot, of, lot of negativity. You know, the best encouragement, my grandfather, being present, the power of presence, being at every game, was that he would just listen. He would listen to me on the ride home after every football. He would just listen after every sporting event, just listen how I perceived the game. Never, never, his encouragement was just listening. Didn't always agree, didn't always see it my way, he just listened. The power of being in someone's presence, the power of encouragement. I felt good when my grandfather would just sit there and listen. You feel good when you're heard, when your voice is heard, when you're, when you're, yeah, when you're crying out, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, whether it's your husband, whether it's your wife. We feel good when someone listens. I think the church, to be the church that God is calling us to be in this season We have to begin to listen to the pain, listen to what's happening in our society. Everyone has a story. I'm honored to share my story with you this morning, a a glimpse of my story. And I'm, I'm honored that you would just take a moment to listen. And I pray that through the Scripture that it would shape you a little bit. That's encouraging encouragement to me. The second thing that we could apply if we were to walk away from here is this is to begin to, how do we support? How do we engage in cross-cultural relationships? How do we begin to, to seek out people, to seek out Christians and believers and to hear different perspectives? To hear different perspectives. It begins to shape us, to, to make room. The, 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 the reason our church works is intentional community because we're intentional about valuing everyone's story. I didn't know much about before coming to Orange County, before before coming to uh, uh, Santa Ana and planning a church. I wasn't informed on issues of immigration. Never really talked about it in all the churches that I worked at. Now I'm being informed by people that are here illegally. And although I I, I don't judge them, I don't say that, oh, you should do this, you got to do this. I just create a platform for their story, their unique story to come to bear on my heart. Because when I see them, I see Jesus. When I see them, when I see this young lady or young man that, that, that went to school and, and struggled through school and all they ever known was here, but they don't have a social security card, I, I, I see Jesus. I empathize. I support. I want to I be with. I want to I be with and, and build relationships because I don't have all the answers, but I know who has all the answers. We're talking about building relationships. As believers, if we're going to come to understand people and and where our society is heading, we have to begin to to forge those relationships. And lastly, I want to say this. This says my grandfather spoke up for me. If you want to live out the ministry of reconciliation, you want to do that through relationship, we got to begin to be a voice for people. Begin to speak up, not speak at, 
speak up. Those that we have relationship with, when they're feeling pain, we, we acknowledge, acknowledge their pain. I love this in Proverbs 21 and 13. It says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. This is scripture. Now, the church, right now, I want to say this. It's time for us as a church to be the church God has called us to be, to, to lay aside our politics and those ideologies and just simply be the church to love people. God, it's all he called us to do. He said, be in unity, be in complete unity. And how will they know you are the church? They will know and distinguish by your love. That's all he called us to do, just to love. Set aside our our own brokenness. I, I come here this morning with brokenness. We all have brokenness. I don't know what yours is. I know what my father's and grandfather's brokenness is. I don't know what yours is, but you do. And Christ is calling us into something deeper. It's the church, the brave church, the remnant that will begin to to impact the world with the truth of the gospel, the love of Christ, the same passion that he went on the cross with is the same passion that drives us to love people. But whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. When you hear of other believers talk derogatory about people and begin to categorize and define people, we got to speak up. We got to make it not okay. We got to make it not okay in our churches. It's not okay. You're, everyone in my church, everyone at Emmaus Church is okay to be there. You can be Democrat, Republican, black, white, green, yellow, whatever. You can be all those things. We can't. I can't allow us to begin to talk derogatory about people. We've got to sit with people's stories, point people to the cross, point people to Jesus. Jesus knows how to fix us. Amen? Amen. He fixed me. He fixed me. He fixed me. He fixed you. We know reconciliation. We know it. You and I know it. We've experienced it. So I want to leave you with this. What would it look like? this morning? What would it look like for you to reevaluate maybe some broken areas in your own life? I don't know what that is. I just feel this morning that if we, maybe if we've lost this, maybe reconciliation is not something that, that we are accustomed to talking about. But we know it because we've lived it. God has reconciled us to Him. And we get that. I think some of us this morning need to reevaluate where is the brokenness that needs to be healed through relationship with Christ? Where is that at? And as you address that, maybe you can begin to address the, maybe the brokenness in the relationship with other people because it does not stop with this vertical relationship. This vertical relationship only empowers us to build horizontal relationships with people that don't necessarily look like us. Don't live where we live. Don't go to the schools where we live. But they're brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that is what God is calling us to in this hour. And it's an urgent hour. I come to you this morning knowing this is a simple, uh, knowing that this is a, a hard topic, knowing this is something we don't always talk about. 
But it's a time in our nation that more than ever that we need a church to be brave and to be bold and to be a prophetic witness. A prophetic witness. Always. The church has always been a prophetic witness of God's grace and his love, his power, and his strength. If you're here this morning, and maybe this is, maybe I just get a sense that there's, there's, there's a desire, a desire for some of us to, to step into this conversation, to learn more about the things that divide the church, to learn more about this idea of, 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 of loving people, of, 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 re, of being a, recon, a bridge builder is what I'm trying to say. Some of you guys, God has uniquely called you to be a bridge builder. I don't know. It may be if that's you this morning. I don't want to ask you to do anything radical, but just simply just lift up your hand. I want to I pray for you. Just simply just lift up your hand. If you feel like God's calling you to maybe be a bridge builder, maybe be a voice of his love. We're simply talking about his love. Just keep your hand. It's just simple right here. I just want to pray for you. Just acknowledge your hand. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You can put your hand down. I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, to share your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I thank you this morning, Father God, that your word says that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Lord, there are people here that desire to learn more about reaching across the lines or reaching the lost. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would begin to do, do work in their hearts. That, Lord, as they address the areas of brokenness in their own hearts, Lord, that you would, you would begin to fill them with an unconditional love for people. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the faithful witness of this church that have loved this city for 85 years. I pray your hand of grace would continue to be on this place, be on the men and women that have sown into the kingdom of God, that have given to this church. And I pray that you would uniquely position this church to to be a bridge cross-culturally in this city and in this county and in our world. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lamont. Boy, you know, what I appreciate is certainly your words, but I appreciate your heart. This topic can be so polarizing for us at times, and And we see the things that are on the news throughout our country. So we thank you for your heart. And one of the little catchphrases that you said, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but there are certain qualities that will describe us, but they don't have to define us. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for bringing that to us. And to hear about your grandfather Mm -hmm. and to see how you have broken some of the Mm -hmm. things from your father to your life to your little Mm -hmm. son Jackson now and to Mm -hmm. bring that, that's so encouraging. I have a grandfather who lived in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm. And I still remember being in his home and he used the N word like it was just a, another word out there. Yeah. And it's just stunning to think yeah. of those days. Mm-hmm. And yet it seems as though what really changed, as you said, just to reemphasize that, was when your grandfather had a relationship with you, mm-hmm. it changed him. Amen. It reconciled him. And mm-hmm. so we're thankful for you to encourage us to Amen. how to build those relationships. And I think one of the challenges I could go on about this 
Uh, but one of the challenges that I think some, as, if I could speak as a white guy, yeah. okay, yeah. that's okay. No, be, be a yellow guy for a moment. <laughs> I like that. That would be fun. No. I feel a little cowardly, actually. I feel a little yellow. But uh, we, we want, many of us want to have relationships with people who are different yeah. than us. And yeah. Certainly in Santa Ana, it's Absolutely. the immigration. You're right. Absolutely. And we got folks here who are part of that. Amen. Uh, but we don't want to say something that seems insensitive yeah. or inappropriate. And so we kind of like, oh, yeah. we're just a little yeah. nervous about trying to yeah. lean in because we might lean in in the wrong way. And yeah. somehow the implication of the nuance of yeah. it is difficult. Anything just addressing that real specifically? Yeah. I mean, if I were just to be quite just honest, bluntly honest, um, this is messy and you have to be willing to be vulnerable and to say the wrong thing to get it right. Uh, It's a learning posture. And so I think that um, speaking as a person of color, um, I think that um, we understand, we understand where there could be mistakes. And I think there's grace there. I I think given if it's a relationship that maybe if it starts at work or wherever in church, that there would be grace extended there. But also in that grace has to be a willingness to, to, to change that, to see maybe slightly differently. So we're, we're not trying to change. Again, I, I want to make sure we emphasize because this conversation gets couched in a lot of ideolo- ideologies, whether it's political ideologies and others. This is, this, this is a heart issue. This is us like just addressing that, hey, we're in process. We move from glory to glory. And so I would just say lean into it and, and um, allow yourself the, 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 the freedom to be wrong and allow yourself to receive grace from others and to be able to move forward. Because this is about unity. My heart, your heart, I know this heart's church is about moving forward together. And we do that when we begin to, um, yeah, create a level playing field that, that we all can make mistakes and there be grace. So thank you for that. Thank you. And I want to let you know, you might have questions, as much as I have many questions in my own mind just listening. This Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, right over there in our fellowship hall off the patio, we're going to have a panel discussion. Lamont will be there, mm-hmm. along with these other fine people who are part of our Calvary Church family. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to come and to engage in a very casual setting and grow and learn. Some of these things, like, I'm afraid I'm nervous and say the wrong thing. Come and learn. We're all growing in this thing. We want to improve. We want to be the church. Amen. And so that's a lot of work. At the beginning of the church, in Acts 6, they had ethnic problems and racial problems. So it's not a new phenomenon to have it in the church, but we want to improve and grow. Amen. So we look forward to having you come on Wednesday night. Let's give Ron another pleasing hand. Thank you so much. If you'd like to have some next steps, you have this in your bulletin. I just want to highlight it just real quickly. You can read it for yourself. But there's ways you want to grow, much as Lamont was encouraging us. You want to understand it better. You want to lean into it. You want to be a reconciler. You want to be a unifier. Well, there are a number of items here, six of them as a matter of fact, that you can look at and consider which of those are the areas that God would put on your heart. I'd like for us to transition now to what is the uh, good display of reconciliation. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, just days, hours before that death, he gathered together his men, his disciples. They sat in what we call the upper room, and there he instituted what we now celebrate as communion. And communion, the whole concept of communion is that we are together, we are one. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 writes about communion, and it's interesting, 
just as he's writing about kingdom, just, you just back up a few verses, he's talking about factions in the church at Corinth. He's talking about divisions of the rich and the poor, of men and women. And so there we go again, and he transitions from the factional problems that we can have to the unifying experience that we should have in Jesus Christ. And so as we gather together around the elements, the bread representing, symbolizing the body of Jesus and the cup as it symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ, even as these elements work their way to each of us, let's each of us evaluate our own hearts. And God, how can I grow? How can I learn? How can I reach out? How can I lean into this whole area of reconciliation and unifying and maybe tearing down some perceptions and building in some new relationships of reaching out? So let me pray for the bread as it's now going to be passed as we remember the beautiful body of Jesus and the opportunity for us to have communion with him and with one another. Father, God, thank you for this bread Thank you for the symbolic value that your son's body was crucified in our behalf so we could be reconciled with you through faith. So thank you for it as we look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.